You're listening to Gate City Podcast. As we continue our series, Neighborhoods to Nations, today we get to hear from our Gate City Global Director, Chan Pridgen. For more information on our church and our house of prayer, please visit gatecityatl.com. Amen. Good morning, Gate City. It is a good morning. Good to be with you today. I uh, I'm so excited for today and for next week especially. Um, this is an awesome opportunity for a large part of our of our spiritual family to be spotlighted. Called Gate City Global. My wife and I get the opportunity to serve our missionaries, and many of them are in the crowd. If you're one of our Gate City Global missionaries or students or alumni. If you would, uh, stand up or raise your hand. How about that? Stand up and raise your hand. We'll just look at both of you, both ways. Yeah, there's several of them around here. Here we are. This, this week and, and next week, we're going to speak predominantly about foreign missions as we express it through our Gate City Global uh, spiritual family, a part of Gate City Church and Gate City House of Prayer and so my name is Chandler Pridgen. My beautiful wife wasn't able to be with us today. We've got a little one who's at home with a fever. And so she's, uh, she's there piloting that ship right now, but she is tuning in right now. So, hey, babe, be home soon. I'll get all the groceries you told me to get on the way home. I'll do all that. That's right. I want to talk to you today about missions. We are in a, an awesome series, Neighborhoods to Nations. And I get the opportunity to, to bring us a little closer to the finish line as we've now moved out of our neighborhoods and into the nations. Um, we're going to look at several scriptures today. And so I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles or, or scroll in your Bibles, if that's the way you do it, to where Jesus talks about the Great Commission. I'm not even going to give you the reference. I'm just going to ask you to go find it right now. Let's see what we know about the Great Commission. Let's see what we know about Jesus's words. In missions, I realize that when you come into a crowd like this, that there's, you know, all kinds of uh, ways people think about missions. For some, it is their diehard center line target. It's what they live and breathe and die for. That is what they think about when they go into their prayer closet. And then for others on the other side of the spectrum, it's, it's one of the ministries in the church. It's something that you should give money to. It's something that we should advocate for, but it's not something that's super important or is that important to me that I don't see how it impacts my life. And what I want to do today is I want to give a few Bible verses um, in, our, in our New Testament that give us understanding, or at least an introductory understanding, of how important missions was to Jesus in his teachings. He talked about it all over the place. And so I want to give sort of a down-the-middle message about frontier missions. And, to, and next week, we'll look at some more of that. I'm actually going to bring in some missionaries from the field, and they're going to give us some stories, and we're going to be able to take up an offering for missions. So today's message is frontier missions to the unreached. And so if you're in your Bibles now, I want to ask you, how many of you guys are somewhere in the New Testament? Yeah, how many of you are... In the book of Acts right now, maybe the book of Matthew. 
How many of you are in Google right now? Where the heck is the Great Commission? Yeah, I know that one. I've been there. Uh, let's go to Matthew. I'm actually going to be easier on you today. We're going to look at the first gospel, the book of Matthew, and we're going to probably stay right there, though I might reference a few other passages. I want us to look at what the Bible begins to, to give us an understanding of God's heart for the nations. So go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. I know I may have tricked you for those who are in Matthew 28. God willing, we're going to end up there. Sometimes the spirit of long-winded preacher gets on me, and I don't ever wind up finishing where I started. But maybe we'll get there, and if not, I reserve the right to talk about it again next week because I get two of these. Matthew 5. While you're turning there, I want to just give 90 seconds on what Gate City Global is. So Gate City Global was uh, formerly known as Finish the Task and formerly known before that uh, ACTS, Antioch Center for Training and Sending. But what it is, is our missions arm, our apparatus for, for training and sending and pastoring foreign missionaries from our spiritual family into the nations of the earth. We look for strategic gate cities in the nations of the earth, predominantly amongst unreached people groups. We're going to talk about that term, but that's a new idea to you, that there are peoples in the earth today that are still unreached. That might come as a shock to you. But if you've been tracking it for any time in the last couple of years with Gate City, you'll know that we've, we've, every year we give an offering to Jesus to see the gospel go into the unreached. And we're going to look at that today. But Gate City Global is about 50 missionaries strong. We're a little small expression. God has blessed us and we're growing. But we are... 50 or so missionaries either on the field or in the pipeline being trained to be sent there, about a half dozen bases, all within strategic locations of the earth with one idea in mind. We are in these places that are amongst the hardest and the darkest nations of the earth, those that have given themselves to demons in the name of Islam, communism, Hinduism, where the enemy has built a beachhead, we want to go and counteract the kingdom of darkness and bring the kingdom of light. And the Bible says the way you do that is you put the gospel on the backs of little old me's and little old you's. People, missionaries, those who are willing to be sent, those who will go, here am I, send me, Lord. We desire to train these young ones. We look for young adults who are ready to go, Lord, here am I, send me. My life is yours. The strength of my 20s belongs to you. The strength of my 30s belongs to you. Send, send me anywhere. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I just, I just want to be with you, Jesus. And so we're looking for young adults who will say yes to that. We train them. We put them on teams. We look for strategic cities, and we place them there to plant a flag. And often... Some of these places, it's the first expression of worship in a sustained way that that land has seen since the fall of man in Genesis 3. You tell me we're not in a spiritual war. I look at some of our missionaries. Some of them have just come off the field because of 
spiritual warfare, things that are happening all the time. Others we're going to be praying for next week to go into the field. And, and so we're always coming and going and working in this harvest with Jesus. All right, so Matthew 5. Again, that's long-winded preacher things coming on. Y'all got to help me. Gate City Global. We have two schools. You can find out more about that next week if you want to be a part of it. Okay. So we're in Matthew 5, and we're going we're to probably take today's message and imagine like skipping rocks on a pond. We're going we're gonna to skip a rock, and it's going to land, and it's not going to go very deep. It's just going to keep skipping. And so what I wanted to do today was offer four or five different passages that advertise God's heart for missions. Okay, and so we're going to start Matthew 5. Now, Matthew 5 is, a, is, an, amazing, is an amazing chapter. It begins the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus speaking to a crowd, and he begins to lay out his constitution for the kingdom of God. He begins to say, these are the things that are most important to me. And if you want to be an equally yoked bride, then I want you to be like me. And this is how I am. This is what makes me happy. This is what, this is what I focus on. This is what I'm going for. And if you want to be with me, you want to be with me where I am, then our values need to align. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to launch into three chapters full of the expressions of his heart, what's most concerning him, what, he, what matters most to him. And I love the Sermon on the Mount because it's such a straight path. It's such a steel rod in our spirits. There's no wiggle room. Anybody that has taken a serious look at what Jesus' first sermon has to say about a life lived in God, knows there is nearly no play in the wheel. That there is, a, there is one way that he wants us to live, and it's the way that he lived. He's looking for an equally yoked bride. Matthew 5 starts out with what we call affectionately the Beatitudes. And there's, a, there's several of them there. There's eight of them, actually. But I want you to look at one particular. And we're just going to, like I said, skip this rock across the pond and then move on to the next passage within Matthew. But look at Matthew Chapter 5, verse 5. They're going to bring it up on the screen in a minute. Jesus, after a, a few blessings, he, he announces this very interesting one. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What an interesting idea. Blessed is this specific group of people, which he calls the meek or the gentle, and he says, I am going to give them planet Earth as their inheritance. And, you know, our minds sort of immediately want to go, well, what does he mean by that? When Jesus says he wants to give me the Earth, well, I wonder what he means by that. But isn't it interesting that we don't apply that logic to the other Beatitudes? When he says, blessed are the merciful for they shall, inherit, they shall receive mercy, we don't go, I wonder what Jesus means by he'll give me mercy. I wonder what he actually meant when he said, I need to be merciful, and he'll take that into account, and I'll receive mercy on top because of that. But yet we get to this one, and we go, we're going to receive planet Earth. I wonder what Jesus meant by that. I want to tell you what Jesus meant by that. Genesis records God's creation account where he created the earth. And when he was done with it, he looked back and he goes, 
it is very good. We look at our present earth today, we see all kinds of problems. It doesn't take a genius to flip on the news and see 25 things that are wrong with the earth today. But can I tell you, that's not the earth that he's going to give his heirs as their inheritance. There's an earth that's coming, that's refined by fire with seals, trumpets, and bowls, and all the like. He knows exactly what he's doing in order to prepare this earth so that when he does give it to his bride, it is still very good. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's not marching around the throne room of God going, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. The earth that I created, that it was at one point so very good. Now it's just spinning out of control. Holy Spirit, what should we do? You're not doing your job good enough. Jesus, what are you doing? Well, I just finished dying, Lord. I know, but you need to do something now. You know, he, he's not frantic. The Bible actually pictures God is seated upon the throne. He sits above the circle of the earth. He holds his enemies in derision. Psalm 2 speaks about a God who when the nations are raging and plotting vain things, he begins to laugh. He begins to laugh. <laughs> a little, that sounded a little like Jabba the Hut right there. I didn't quite mean to do that. But it's a laugh nonetheless of Total supreme confidence. I've got this. There's nothing you can do. And then he begins to unravel the psalm. And I love Psalm 2, and it's not in the notes. Again, it's coming on me. Here we go. But take a look at Psalm 2. Write that down in your margin because you're going to want to go find Psalm 2 in your Bible and spend some time. Become friends with Psalm 2. Jesus has been given the throne, and, he's, and he says, the Father, he goes, I just heard what the Father said to me. He goes, the father just told me all I got to do is ask for the nations for my inheritance, and he's going to give them to me. And so let, let's look at this beatitude, this blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, as completely tied in with Psalm 2. Jesus has an inheritance, it's the nations of the earth, and you have an inheritance, it's the nations of the earth. Now I want to tell you this. God is raising up missionaries across the earth who are inundated with the meekness and the gentleness of God because it's to those that he wants to give access to these nations to. It is not about stacking all your skills as high as you can and climbing a corporate ladder and making enough, enough money and gritting your teeth and doubling and tripling your efforts. It is about going low to the cross and it's about going there often because it's the meek that he says, I will give those access into these nations. I will give the earth to the meek. He says, you're blessed when you're meek. This doesn't seem like a missionary verse to us right offhand, but I want to tell you, this is exactly what you get when you join Gate City Global School. We preface all of our students that, hey, welcome to the mission field. Get ready for things to start breaking in your life. Get ready for things to start, the, oil, the, the, the well to start running dry. Remember how the prayer room was so fun? It may not be very fun much longer. You know what's going to happen now is we're going to start creating on purpose certain pressure points 
for you so that you can begin to have real-time simulators on how you will handle these things when you get to the nations. And we're, then we're going to take a test run and go into that nation for about three months and see how you handle that. And then when you come back, we're going to put you in front of people so that you can begin to raise funds and tell your story over and over, and you get to feel that pressure. And then, and then after we're done with that, God still may have more things for you to do. But why is that so important? Why is that the necessary path? Why is that a narrow path that leads them to the nations, to their inheritance? It's because God is giving us opportunities to be molded into his image, to apply meekness to our lives, to become the meek of the earth, because that is not going away. This Bible verse will be there still when God decides to hand out nations. And when he begins to hand out nations, he will be looking for those who have been trained by meekness, by the pressures of this life. Everything we go to, everything that breaks, everything that runs dry, everything that doesn't go the way we thought it should go is an opportunity to get a little bit closer into becoming the meek of the earth so that God can give us planet earth. I'm an army recruiter for the kingdom of God. And I'm feeling a little chippy this morning. I'll just let you know. I've been in a little bit of a fight. And I'm happy to report I'm winning. And Jesus is winning too. Missions is all over the Bible. We see it in Adam and Noah when God told them to fill the earth, multiply, subdue, take dominion. We see it in Abraham when God said, I want you to wake up and I want you to go into a land that I will show you. It's a land you do not know where you're going. We see it in David many times in David's life and in his Psalms, but it's particularly I'm thinking about one Psalm in particular, Psalm 132. David takes this vow before the Lord and he goes, it's not right that I'm at rest, but God is not in re at rest with his people. And he says, I am going to turn my back on the entitlements of my, of my royal role and my, my lineage and the power that I've accumulated with my wealth, the comfort of my bed. I'm going to turn away from it. I won't give some sleep or slumber to my eyelids until God has a resting place in my generation and in my land. Choosing a path of difficulty for glory, for the future that God has prepared for him. God is desiring a resting place in our generation, in the nations of the earth. And when we send teams to plant Acts 1 type locations in strategic cities, preparing for an Acts 2 outpouring, we're doing Psalm 132. We're sending out friends of God, intercessors, into the hardest and darkest nations so they can get a breakthrough in prayer so that God will have a resting place in that nation. We believe that judgment is coming. You don't have to be a prophet to read the Bible. The Bible says judgment is coming. That there's a man of sin in the fullness of times that's going to manifest in the Middle East. And he's going to hunt Christians and Jews. 
But I believe God is raising up a counter army against this man of sin and the army that he will accumulate. And light and darkness will come to a crescendo in a, in a day not too far from now. And these conversations, these declarations, these little tens and twenties, these groups of forties and fifties that are saying, yes, here I am, Lord, send me. These are the ones, it's them and their children and their children's children that will stem the tide of evil and wickedness in the just generation. And we as a, as a Gate City family have got to get behind them. We have got to be in their corner, whether it be through breakthrough prayer and intercession, whether it be extravagant giving so that they can be, be unhindered and unfettered and can move the gospel forward. We have got to be linked with those who go into all the world. It is not optional. Here it comes. Here comes that chippiness. I can feel it. I'm starting to recruit. I, I believe this with all my heart. I've given my whole life to this gospel. And I've seen it with my eyes. But I can read the end of the book just like you can. And Jesus winds up winning. There comes a day where we all stand, when it's all over, when all the demons are bound and Satan is, is no more, and we stand with him on the sea of glass. And we're worshiping. And we're saying, you did it. Every tribe, people, nation, and tongue is here represented before you. You did it. The meek of the earth. We're getting ready to receive the earth as our inheritance. Lord, you did it. He's already paid the ransom, which means it's already in motion. It's both a promise and a prophecy. It's coming. Isaiah is deconstructed and, and reconstructed as a mouthpiece for God. And at the end of it, he says, okay, okay, here am I. Send me, Lord. Again, missions is all over the Bible. The last prophet in the, in the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi 1.11 says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. So we find ourselves just 400 years past Malachi in this book of Matthew and Jesus has just given this beatitude. And so I wanna move from that skipping of the rock to the next. I want you to turn over to Matthew 9, just a few verses, a few chapters later. Jesus has finished the Sermon on the Mount He's collected more disciples. He's moving along in his mission. And he's already established through the Sermon on the Mount who are the ones that are going to be considered safe with the authority that he wants to give them. That if you're, if you're, of, this, if you're of that breed of the Sermon on the Mount, that he desires to give them authority. And so he gives us a story in Matthew 9, which... I believe you'll have that on the screen in a minute, but it's Matthew 9, chapter, uh, verse 32 through 38. I'm just going to read the whole thing. Matthew, 30, Matthew 9, 32. And when they, the disciples were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, everybody say cast out. The mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. 
skipping a couple of verses. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I want to draw on this for just a minute. So Jesus is going to give this message on the, on the harvest. It's where the whole thing is going. He's going to, he's, but he's going to tee it up by an object lesson, a story, a ministry uh, venture that he's just come out of. And he's going to tee up this lesson on how he sends out missionaries. This is fascinating what he does. He's just gone through the cities and the villages. And it says, all of a sudden, a demon oppressed man who was mute came before him. And Jesus does what Jesus does. He looks at him and he casts out this demon. And that word cast out is the Greek word ekbalo. Everybody say ekbalo. You may or may not have heard of that word. Dustin touched it on it, touched on it a few weeks ago. But he ekbaloed or he cast out or flung forward or thrust out with ease is the idea, this demon. How many of you know that's easy for Jesus? It's easy for Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, to look at an oppressed man and say, I ekbalo that demon out of you. And he's completely free. And that's what happened. Well, he rolls right in from that object lesson into his story of, of how he sees the mission field. And again, I just read it to you, but I'll just, I just want to tap on it again. And, and actually, before I do, it's interesting. This is just for, for fun. The crowds marveled, and they say, never was anything like this seen in Israel. And I think that's so amazing. We, all, we skip over that, but you know they weren't lying. There had actually never been the ministry of deliverance until Jesus brought it in the new covenant. Yes, there were demons. Yes, there were people that were oppressed. But the ability to exercise a demon, to cast out or to ekbalo a demon, Jesus himself brought this ministry. And it's as if he was saying, I'm a new king in town. And I'm coming to bust up the kingdom of darkness and to personally begin to ekbalo demons out of people, to break off the darkness. I'm the kingdom of light. And I'm here. And you and I are light bearers of this kingdom of light. And so Jesus goes, you're right. This has never been done before. I brought a new thing. And so he looks at the crowds and it says something happens to Jesus. And you've all read the story before. Compassion hits Jesus. And this is fascinating. If you just sit still with this long enough and you think about what did this even look like? He's God. He's God. And something has so riveted his frame, has moved him. All his inward parts are shifted. Something hits him called compassion that changes everything. And out of the belly of our God in the flesh comes forth a prayer request for his disciples. These few that heard him physically and the ones who now read about him 
2,000 years later. And so we are in this story. We are, the, we are also disciples where he, that he would also say these very words to. He says, I have compassion for them because they're harassed and helpless. And we see a, a glimpse into Jesus's heart of how he sees the nations of the earth. He's not afraid of them. You know, Jesus isn't afraid of Muslims. Did y'all know that? You know, Jesus can watch Al Jazeera on TV and not be freaked out by that. He can see all of the blood. He can see all the threats. He can see all the kings of the earth meeting together in little war rooms, secret bunkers, and how they're going to overthrow. And he is not in any way thrown off by that. He has compassion for people because they're harassed and helpless. He goes, they're like, he goes, they're like sheep. He goes, some of you guys are gonna get this metaphor. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And I believe in right there, Jesus was beginning to advertise this idea of unreached peoples. They're, they're sheep that don't have anybody to help them. They don't have anybody to give them oversight. They're going to die. They're going to die. They're sheep without a shepherd. Tease that out in your mind. What happens to sheep without a shepherd? They're going to get eaten. They're going to fall off a cliff. They can't find water. They're going to starve. They're going to die in the heat. They have no chance. There's no access to hope. There's nothing they can do about it. And Jesus is beginning to paint this picture. He does it on purpose to capture the ones he's talking to, he goes, do you understand now the way I see them? And it's not said explicitly in this particular one, but we can infer from other interactions with those disciples that they probably didn't think of them as sheep without a shepherd. They kind of just saw them like, oh man, more people, more set up and tear down. Like, Lord, this is getting so old and I'm hot and I'm hungry and wah, wah. You know, and we do that, right? We enter right into that. And Jesus goes, it's not the way I see them. It's not the way I see them. They're sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he changes the metaphor. He goes, he goes some of you guys got that one? Let me give you a different one. He goes, they're actually, he goes, you know what? They're also like, like harvest. Harvest that's plentiful, that needs nothing else. Harvest that's ready, ready to be harvested. He goes, they're harvest. The harvest is plentiful. He goes, but we've got a problem. It's the laborers that are few. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Now I can imagine the, the disciples are, okay, we get it. We're on board. Let's go. And I imagine because of the zeal and some of the hotheadedness and the let's go, Jesus, rah, rah, you know, Where's my laptop, Jesus, Delta.com, buy a one-way ticket to the hardest and darkest places of the earth. And I appreciate that kind of zeal. I work with that kind of zeal all the time. But here's what I want to do as our Gate City spiritual family. I want to tell you that I believe God has a certain way that he is going to craft this end times army of missionaries, the meek ones that he wants to give the earth to. I believe he is doing something methodically and on purpose, and it's not going to be born out of fleshly zeal or the tyranny of the urgent or, or 
or commercials with, with African babies, distended bellies to get you to manipulate and to pull. It's going to be out of the beauty of God. It's going to be scripturally sound, and it's going to be the heart of Jesus with compassion. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to put the beauty of God front and center and on display. And you'll see that in a minute when we get to some more of these these passages, but he says, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore, now if you had never read your Bible, you would be just like me, that would think he's about to say, therefore run into the harvest and help me. But he doesn't say that, does he? The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, therefore Pray, pray earnestly, the ESV says. What? Why? I thought they were sheep without a shepherd. I thought the harvest was ready. Let's go, Jesus. And Jesus goes, I have something that you don't have yet. It's called compassion. And if you were to get on that airplane right now and with all your human zeal, what would you say when you got there? What would you say that's any different than what anybody else is saying? Would you just bring your latest church growth strategy? Would you bring and pass out some tracks? Would you bring your used shoes with you and think that's going to do anything? That's not the missionary movement that he's raising up. He's birthing missionaries in the beauty of holiness that will have something of authority to say on the principalities and powers of the earth. This is what he's doing. Therefore, pray earnestly. Therefore, become an intercessor. You're a missionary. You want to go. You want to do something about it. Become an intercessor. But Lord, that's... That just seems so backwards, and that just seems like, you know, I want to go, and you say I should stay. He goes, what do you think I'm doing? He goes, I'm interceding. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now, making intercessions for the very nations that you say you're so passionate and zealous for. Why do you think you now have a newfound zeal and passion for that nation? It's because it's his passion, and he's sharing that burden with you right now. He says, so there, or get into a prayer room, find a prayer closet, and begin to agree with me in our session, and nothing shall be withheld from us at that point. He goes, I want to do this with my bride, equally yoked. I'm building in you opportunities for meekness, because I want to give you that nation. But if I give it to you before you've achieved compassion, it will break you. And I'm unwilling to lose you in the midst of this war. What does it gain? What does, it, what does a man gain if he wins the whole world and loses his own soul? He's un- unwilling to gain the whole nation and then lose you in the process. I'm going to insulate you. I'm going to put you in a community, in a prayer room that's so boring at times. Oh, it's just so empty. None of your gifts are going to be on display. It's going to be awesome. 
No one's going to care how many followers you have, how good you can preach or sing. Nobody cares what ministry you used to lead. We don't care here. We really don't. We care about Jesus and what he's doing. Therefore, pray earnestly. And so why did I tell you to say cast out earlier? Because here's what Jesus says. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out, everybody send out, say send out, to send out laborers into his harvest. That word send out is the same word, ekbalo. What is Jesus saying by this point? He's saying, do you see how easy it is for me to raise up missionaries? He goes, I can do that. The same ease that it took for me to cast out a demon from a demon-possessed man is the same ease it would take me to send out missionaries into the harvest field. That is not hard for him. So then what is he asking of us to do? He's asking you to pray. He goes, that's the one thing I won't do for you. He goes, that's the part of the relationship, the partnership that I've placed in your hands. Andrew Murray said, the number of missionaries on the field depends entirely on the extent to which someone obeys this command and prays out the laborers. Can I make a bold and scary and sad statement? that I believe the lack of laborers in the harvest is due to the lack of prayer in the prayer rooms. Specific prayer, because he gets real specific here. He goes, goes, I'm going to tell you exactly how to do this. He goes, I want you to address my father as Lord of the harvest. He says it right there. He He goes, I'm giving you a new title for God. He's Lord of the harvest. Address him as Lord of the harvest because when we see him as Lord of the harvest, we realize that we're not. He's the Lord of the harvest and now Lord send forth laborers into his harvest. I love that. Well, let's, for time's sake, let's skip the rock a little further into the pond. I want you to go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. We're going to look at just one verse. Jesus has spoken much about his teachings. He's collected more disciples. He's had some <laughs> battles with the Pharisees and different ones, lots of miracles. And we come to a part where he is now going to teach in a real line-upon-line way about the end of the age. In Matthew 24, he goes line-upon-line. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And then that's going to happen. Matthew 25, he gives parables to color in the lines so that we understand the heart of what he's talking about. In this particular passage in Matthew 24, he inserts the most obscure verse. And it's not when you look at it in context, but let's just look at it. Without the context, you can get that on your own. You have a Bible. But let's look at Matthew 24, 14. He's just finished talking about this end-of-the-age drama that's unfolding, and he says the most amazing words. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world 
as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. What an astounding sentence from the Lord. Let's just all remind ourselves that he is God when he says this. Like this, you can take this to the bank is my point. There's no misunderstanding. And this is really both a problem verse and a promise. It's a problem because we're now introduced to how clear he actually is being. Up until this point, Jesus hadn't been that clear. He said, you know, meek, the whole earth. But, you know, what do, you, what do we mean by the whole earth? That's what we're kind of, the way we receive that. And he goes, you know, the, the harvest is big. But here in Matthew 24, he's, he dials in, and he could not be more unclear. All nations, whole world. And when you get into even a little deeper into the Greek, Greek, then the word nations does not even mean the natural and normal boundary lines, the geopolitical boundary lines that you and I see when we look at a world map. That word means ethne, ethne, ethno-linguistic peoples, ethnocentric peoples. And it's not in the mind of God the way it is in our minds where we see, you know, 200 and 210 nations, provinces that kind of move back and forth depending on who's recognizing who. No, he sees people groups. A few years ago, back in the 60s, uh, some smart people, I'll just say it like that, some missiologists, theologians got together amongst with lots of uh, a huge team of people, began to canvas the earth and began to say, where are all the places we now live in a unique generation where we have the modern technology, the disposable income, the triangulation of the satellites and all the other things that I don't understand to be able to locate every single piece of land on the earth. Do you realize that's never been done before? Not until the last generation. We live in the, one of the most unique hours of human history. There are no more unfounded islands and places on the map that we can't get to. We can get there now. We know about them. This is important in light of Matthew 24, 14, what we just read. Jesus said, I will come back when there's been a gospel witness in the whole world. Unless you be unclear what I meant by whole world, every nation. Unless you be unclear what I mean by nation. Dig a little deeper. Every ethne. So he tightens it in real tight for us. He goes, there's no wiggle room. There's no play in the wheel. I know exactly what I'm talking about. I know exactly where this is going. It's a problem, though, because that means we've got to respond. What do we do with this newfound information, this newfound clarity? So these smart missiologists, these people that have canvassed the earth on airplanes and done different things and made all the graphs and the charts, there's several third-party organizations out there, but they all agree there's thousands of people groups on the earth. And I'm not going to bore you with statistics because I don't believe statistics make bond servants. I want to speak the word of God to us today, but I will give you a couple uh, math equations here just so that we understand where this is going. So these people have said there's about 17,000 different people groups of the earth, of which you and I are part of one of those. 
And these groups of people, are, they're, they're not made up, again, from geopolitical boundary lines, and there's a people group, and there's a people group. No, they're made up from cultural uh, characteristics, language, different dialect, different customary things. There's a, whole, there's a whole metric system of how they determine what a people group is. But when you put all the math together, it's about 17,000, okay? Out of that 17,000 people groups, when you canvass their religion and their, the status of do they know Jesus or not, do they have at least 2% of an evangelical presence from within their own indigenous community, meaning can Africans reach Africans, that's what I mean, it's 7,000 that remain unreached with the gospel today. So there's 17,000 total, but 7,000 of that 17,000 do not know Jesus. Today, 2021, how is that possible? How is that possible with the level of technology and the disposable income and to be able to get around the world in 24 hours or less. How is that even possible that 40% of the world, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and 40% doesn't even know he exists? Or at the very best, they think he's just a prophet in line with other prophets. How is that even possible? What does it mean to be considered unreached? We're going to talk more about this next week when we bring some of our missionaries in and give our offering to reach the unreached. But it comes down to a simple word called access. That's what I kind of teased out a little bit with the sheep without a shepherd. They don't have access. There are nations of the earth that you could, you could have a dream about Jesus, the man in white. And this is happening all over the earth right now, by the way. I'll tell you a story in a second. There's a, you can have a dream about Jesus, and you can wake up the next morning and go, who was that? I must know who that is. He, he told me his name in the dream. That he was Jesus. And you could put on your clothes, go out your front door, go down the street, and you would never encounter another Christian. You would go into a bookstore and not be able to find a Bible there. You could continue walking and never come across a church. You could turn on your internet and every Christian website would be censored. There's nothing on the radio. There is no resource available to take you into the knowledge of God. There's no one to take your hand and lead you into salvation. Not for you, not for your children, and not for their children. This is the current status of 40% of our planet that he wants to give us. We have got to do something about this. Now, I want to say that last phrase in the context of what I've already said. The got to do something about this, this is to find ourselves in the prayer room. To become Matthew 9, Lord of the harvest, send forth laborers into your harvest type intercessors, to not trivialize the greatest prayer request of Jesus to his disciples, to not take it as a simple suggestion, but to take him at his word. What if, what if there was a group of intercessors that got serious about Matthew 9? Would we see Matthew 24? And that's why I believe he gave us Matthew 24. Again, we're still in the same book. 
Matthew 9, he says there's a great void. There's not enough intercessors out there. Therefore, there's not enough laborers. But here in Matthew 24, what we just read is there's actually going to be a day where the witness of the gospel is sufficient. That there is going to be a day that there's a witness in every nation, which presupposes that the intercession has also been sufficient. What needs to happen to get us from Matthew 9 to Matthew 24? What practically can I do? What shifts can I make in my lifestyle? What quality decisions can I set my family down and go, this is ridiculous. We're not going another generation. We're not going to pass the baton onto our children having not moved the ball forward at all. I will not show up into heaven having done nothing about this. Come on, fathers. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Let's go. Let's go. Put your money where your mouth is next week. You know we can. We can do something about this. This is sad. It's going to add to my angst here, but I'm going to invite you into it. Out of a missions, typical missions offering, out of a typical church offering, one dollar of every 100 goes to reaching missions, mission fields, okay? Out of that one dollar, only one penny goes to reaching the unreached. Okay, let me just back up and say it again. You take up an offering... One dollar out of a hundred goes to missions. The rest of it goes to overhead, salaries, building expenses, et cetera, et cetera, right? Other good things. One dollar goes to missions predominantly. Out of that one dollar, so one penny, goes to reaching the unreached with the gospel. 7,000 people get a penny out of your $100 bill. We can do better than that. We can. And we will. I believe in this spiritual family. I believe that God is birthing something beautiful here. We're not going to be moved by the flesh. We're going to see and stare at the beauty of Jesus. And out of that reality, we're going to give extravagantly. We're going to worship in the beauties of holiness. Unreached people, different than lost people, per se, the way we categorize them, I want to explain that. You know, some people may say, well, why do we need to reach the unreached peoples? I mean, across the earth, that is. You know, why, why go into another nation? Why not somebody reach the unreached people in my office in downtown? And I appreciate that sentiment, but it's not a true one. There are no unreached people in your office. Do you know why? Because you're there. You're there. You're their bridge over into the gospel. You are their access. They have access to the gospel. You are their access to the gospel and to the truth of who Christ is and what he has done. But there remains 7,000 people groups that are sheep without a shepherd. And it's not okay with Jesus. It's not what he died for. And again, I will not show up into heaven having done nothing about this in my generation. And I want to reproduce like, kind, and quality. 
And so if you dare to apply to our mission school, this is the kind of stuff you're going to get on a daily basis. So Matthew 5 shows us what God desires and the means by which he is going to prepare us. Matthew 9 showed us the lack of prayer for laborers. Matthew 24 just showed us there's a day coming where there's laborers, there's a witness in all the ethne. And then the end will come because we know the end will come. So there is a sufficient amount of laborers, which presupposes there's a sufficient amount of intercession. What has to happen in the meantime? And I think the answer is in Matthew 26. So let's go there. And I think I'll have to end there because of time's sake. But let's look at Matthew 26. And the worship team can come on. So in Matthew 26, doesn't look like we'll make it to Matthew 28, but I think you knew that one already anyway. Matthew 26, I'm going to read this and then make a couple comments. And then we're going to have the worship team come and lead us and pray. Matthew 26, I love this story. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. Now, just so you know, John has this story as well, and John goes ahead and names the woman, that it's Mary of Bethany. Okay, it's his friend. And when the disciples saw it, and again, John says, it was Judas. <laughs> just goes ahead and name drops Judas. It was all the disciples that had a problem, but Judas was the vocal one. But let's stick to the Matthew version. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Indignant. Think of the word choice here. They were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Hear the religious undertones, right? But Jesus, everybody say, but Jesus. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? Mark's version of this story just flat out says, Jesus goes, leave her alone. Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done beauty. She has ministered in the beauties of holiness. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring the, this ointment on my body, she's done it to prepare me for burial. Now listen to this last verse. For truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has just done will also be told in memory of her. Gate City Church, we want to raise up a spiritual family missionaries both local and abroad that minister out of and for the beauty of God as a means of reaching the unreached it is not just about doubling our efforts and just giving a little more it's not it's not any of those things it's about falling in love with the man Christ Jesus where he inundates all of my desires, all of my passions, where we're lovesick worshipers, where the first commandment is in first place, and I can only respond from that place. To be unafraid and brave in the midst of fiery trials, to suffer well by the power of God, knowing that in just a minute, he himself is going to confirm me and restore me and strengthen me and establish me because we cannot lose. His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. 
This is where this is going. There is going to be that day where we're on the sea of glass. And you've got a whole history in God of showing up to a mostly empty prayer room and opening up your heart and ministering in the beauties of holiness and going, Lord, here am I, send me. And Lord, if it can't be me who sent, then help me to give like I'm going. And help me to pray like I'm going. To hook in at the highest level to answer that invitation. That's who we are. That's who you are. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. close out in worship, but I want to invite you to respond in the ways that you're, you're being led to, whatever that means. If you need to come forward, if you need to stay put, if you need to hit your knees, it's all right and appropriate. But if the Lord is stirring you in this moment to respond, if you're an intercessor and you go, Lord, I have trivialized the greatest prayer request of Jesus to his disciples. I have not taken it seriously, but I want to take it more seriously. I know you put a grace of intercession on my life. Lord, help me to step into this reality. If you know that God has blessed you financially and you've got businesses or ideas, you go, God, I wanna, I wanna go deeper into this. How do I generate more finances to push back the veil of darkness in my generation? Maybe you are one of those who is gonna go. Matthew 28 would therefore, he would say, therefore go into all the world. Again, he puts the knowledge of God on the backs of missionaries and sends them into the darkness with the light of the glory of Christ. And if you, if you say, Lord, I, I've always seen that in my mind's eye. Lord, if, you'll, if you'd make a way for me to be a missionary, to be sent, to be trained and sent with whatever organization, would I say yes to that? So I want to invite you to respond as the worship team leads us. And say, Lord, here we are. We present ourselves before you. Make of us what you will. We love you for the glory, the fame of Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name.